Thank you, thank you. Pray with me, Lord, would the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer, and we desperately need you each and every day of our lives, and we look to you right now to speak to us through this beautiful, beautiful psalm that you've given us, Psalm 23. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So we're going to do a collective scripture reading again. Uh, We're going to say Psalm 23 together, and if you are starting to memorize it, then try to say as much of it as you can from memory. want to deposit this into your spiritual toolbox um, when you're lying there awake at night or when you're going through a difficult time for you to be able to recite Psalm 23 is like having a, a permanent gift with you that nobody can ever take away. So... Ready? Let's do this together. We'll put it up there so you can see. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Nice. I think we're getting a little better. I hope each week it just sort of rises in volume as you get more confident in saying Psalm 23. Now, you can't make sense of Psalm 23 without understanding something about shepherding. We spoke about this last week, so a little bit of review. Sheep are uh, animals that need a tremendous amount of care. In fact, uh, the shepherd really has to do just about everything, has to point them to the place where they would find good food, a nice pasture and good water, but not just has to find that place, has to actually guide them there because the sheep won't even know how to get to the proper feeding place or the proper watering hole. Uh, And sheep tend to be a bit rebellious as well, uh, many of them at least, not all of them. And so oftentimes the shepherd has to go out and use his rod and his staff to bring the sheep and to guide them physically to get to the water and to get to uh, the green pasture. Uh, sometimes when they rebel, they, they go off in a direction, he doesn't notice it, and so they, he has to go out and find them, and, and, and they'll become so panicked when they're laying out there in the field, not knowing where they are. I mean, why do they even rebel? Why do they go the wrong way? Because they don't, they don't even know where to go. So what happens is they end up in some random field far away from the rest of the flock, and they freeze because they don't know what to do. And so in panic, they just will be completely still. And so much so that they can't even walk back to the flock. And so the shepherd will have to pick up the sheep, put them on his shoulders, and carry them all the way back to the rest of the flock. Um, Sheep have no ability to defend themselves. We talked about this last week. They really just have fluffiness as sort of their superpower. And so, um, so, you know, the beasts will come in, the lions and the bears. This happened with with King David when he was a shepherd. And uh, the shepherd has to beat off these lions and bears and coyotes and wolves and whatever predators might try to find the sheep. uh, Has to beat them off to protect them. 
Um, and so over and over again, you see that the shepherd is the one who has to do all the intimate and close care. In fact, if an animal does get the sheep or if the sheep missteps and breaks a leg or gets ill in some way, it's the shepherd who will tenderly care for the sheep and restore them back to health. So, so the, the, the picture that we have of a shepherd is one who is intimately and closely and relationally involved with his sheep. He knows his sheep by name, and they know his voice. And so it is remarkable, it is incredible that David would say, just sort of coming out of nowhere, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Up to this point, you know, God is, is a rock and a shield. He's king. He's all these lofty things. But here, all of a sudden, David says, he drops into the mix this incredible statement. The Lord is my shepherd, meaning he is intimate with me. He is close with me. He knows with me. He walks with me. He guides me. He affirms me. He loves me. He cares for me. He protects me. All of that, David is saying from experience and from knowledge of his great God. And this truth is a truth for us as well. And that's what we're really living into and trying to understand what does it mean to have God as our shepherd? We were talking in our home group uh, last week and the comment was made that nobody wants to be a sheep, right? We don't want to be sheep. We don't want to be seen as sheep. It's a very derogatory term to call somebody a sheep. Because that means they're following something else, right? I hadn't actually thought of this so much last week, but then I was pondering it after our home group and realizing that it's, it's impossible really for human beings. This is, my, this is my proposition. It's impossible for human beings not to follow something. We all align ourselves with an ideology or a belief system or a person or uh, our own desires. We submit ourselves to those things. It's almost impossible for a human being to be completely autonomous. So in some way, we all are sheep, whether we want to acknowledge or not. We like, to be, we like our spirit animal to be the eagle, you know, or the lion or the cheetah, right? But really, on some level, spiritually, we as human beings are sheep. That's the, that's the testimony of Scripture. And the beautiful thing about that truth, which can be hard to absorb, is that God is our shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. So you may be a sheep, but the Lord is your shepherd. Again, remarkable that, that David would say this. I'm calling this series The Rhythms of Life, and here's what I mean by that. Life is a beautiful assortment of seasons or stages or phases um, you've experienced that, right? Even in, the, in, in one day, but over long stretches of time, you go through different seasons. You go through times of restfulness. Sometimes life is restful. And then you go through times of high intense activity. We as a church right now are, are emphasizing, we've had a time of rest. We're emphasizing a time of rally and activity. But what I'm gonna propose to you that that comes out of a place of rest always our activity comes out of a place of deep rest in the Lord. Um, so life is sometimes restful, sometimes it's active. Sometimes life involves great suffering. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes life involves great, those are seasons that we have. Sometimes there's correction. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Sometimes we need God's protection. In some seasons of life, 
there's great affirmation. We, we were able to affirm Jody this morning in a beautiful way. And that, of course, as her husband, that ministered deeply to my soul. I think one of the hardest jobs is to be the pastor's wife uh, and for many reasons. And so that was beautiful today that you all uh, blessed my bride in that way. Just, okay, stop. Um, <clears throat> so all these, um, all these rhythms uh, of life are, are natural and they're part of God's design for us. And that's what Psalm 23, what I find Psalm 23 is so powerful uh, at helping us to see is that, is that when, when life seems mysterious and I can't make sense of it, I go to Psalm 23, I'm lying there awake in my bed and I'm repeating Psalm 23 and I'm realizing that no, what's happening to me right now actually does fit into God's shepherding plan for me. I'm going through a season of correction, not condemnation. There is therefore now in Christ no condemnation, right? So we're not condemned, but God does lovingly correct us. And sometimes I'm in a season of correction and it's hard. And I remind myself that I'm a sheep. And sometimes my shepherd needs to pull out his staff and pull me back in line or use his rod to to push me in the right direction, right? or I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. God knows, he knows. See, that's the beautiful thing about Psalm 23. It reframes life. Philip Keller, I mentioned him last week. He wrote a book, um, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. He was a pastor, but he was a shepherd in Africa for a long time, and then he was a shepherd uh, on his own. Uh, and, and so um, he, he, he talks about this from the perspective of a shepherd. And this is what he says about Psalm 23. So many things. If you're looking for a book to read that you would just be a, a nice, joyful, relaxing, beautiful sort of uh, you know, ex- exploration of shepherding in light of Psalm 23, I really commend it to you. He says, it is the Lord who makes sense and purpose and meaning come out of situations which otherwise would be but a mockery to me. Suddenly, life starts to have significance. I discover I am the object of his special care and attention. And I'm telling you, this is my experience with Psalm 23 in those moments when I need to reframe what's happening in my life. And God meets me in this text and helps me to see, locate what's happening uh, in relation to who he is and his shepherding work in my life. So what we're going to see today, I've already mentioned it, is that um, the, the first rhythm, surprisingly, quite surprisingly, the first rhythm is rest. It all starts with rest. Next week, you know, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. There is an active side to life, but we have these three phrases before that that are really about rest. So, so this is crazy, but activity comes out of rest in the Lord. We usually get that flipped around. Activity comes out of rest in the Lord. So I've got two things I want to say to you today. It starts with rest, and then the second one is let the Lord make you lie down. Let the Lord make you lie down. All right, it starts with rest. Look at the text. Uh, Philip Keller, again, this uh, shepherd's look at Psalm 23, makes the observation that in order for a sheep to lie down, they need to be free of four things, he says. This is in his experience. 
uh, free of fear, so uh, predators coming in, free of friction. So that's one of the things that the shepherd also does. The sheep fight with each other a lot because there's a pecking order in there. I forget what it's called. It's not a pecking order. It's in a sheep. With sheep, it's, it's diff- a sheep herd. It's different. Um, they have to be free from pick friction. Um, they have to be free from pests. So he has to clean and care for them. Uh, and they have to be, you know, they can't, they can't lie down in a green pasture if they're all scratchy and being, you know, pestered. Uh, and then they have to be free from hunger. And so a green, the, the word green signifies that this is a rich pasture filled with food and abundance for them. Uh, and, in other words, what they need is a space that's characterized by safety and provision. And we as human beings are the same way. For us to rest, we need a space that's characterized by safety and deep provision. The shepherd provides all of these for the sheep and what this psalm is saying is that the Lord provides all of this for you if you will allow him, if you will call upon him as your shepherd. The Lord will provide all of this for you. In fact, he already has according to the teaching of scripture. And really the question for us is will we see the Lord's provision in the moment we happen to be living in, in the circumstances in which we find ourselves. So think about this with me. Sheep sense safety and provision with their physical senses, right? That sheep, they just, they just know from their eyes and their ears and the smells if this is a safe situation. But we as human beings, we sense safety and provision with the eyes of faith, with the eyes of faith. So there's a difference in the way that we perceive safety and provision. The sheep is very just physical. We operate in the spiritual realm. And so we perceive safety and provision with the eyes of faith. And that's accessed in the mind. I have commended to you a book by Dallas Willard entitled Life Without Lack. And it's, it's pretty much about Psalm 23, although he goes in a lot of different directions. Um, and so I would say these two books by Philip Keller and Life Without Lack by Dallas Willard. If you want to do some reading alongside of this sermon series, pick one or both of those books. Um, I, this book, Life Without Lack, was huge in my life, um, just encouragement to me. Um, but in, he talks about over and over again, one of his main points in that book is that we have this God-given power to choose what we set our minds on. We have a God-given power to choose what we set our minds on. And that ends up being a very rich and powerful spiritual tool for us. He, he puts it this way. I quoted this last week. We have the ability and responsibility, interesting choice of words, to keep God present in our minds. Uh, and those who do so, I love this, will make steady progress toward him. For he will respond by making himself known to us right? Draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. And I've been testing this out over the course of this last week, you know, in those moments that are challenging and difficult. Okay, I'm going to draw near. I'm going to set my mind, you know, and it really is a promise that God loves to fulfill, that if we will draw near to him, he will draw near. If we will set our mind on the things of the Lord, if we will look with the eyes of faith to see what is really true behind the curtain of this fading world, what is true in the spiritual realm, then we will, we will find ourselves in bountiful green grass pastures. Even if things around us are kind of crazy. 
When God is your shepherd, the actual field does not need to be peaceful. This is a really significant difference from the way sheep live and the way we live. We have to see into the spiritual realm. Accessing that with with our minds and choosing to think of the things of God, to think about our shepherd and everything our shepherd has promised, right? Give you an example of this, Matthew 8, 23. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, that's Jesus, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. Boat, not very big, swamped with waves, pretty scary, Jesus is asleep. And they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? All right, so we can be in moments of great turmoil and tumult and still access that green pasture kind of peace because of what God has done and because of who he is. He leads me beside, he leads me into green pastures. The next phrase captures another aspect of restfulness that's really important. He leads me beside still, or you could translate that word placid waters. For rest, we also need, so we need safety and provision, but we also need calm and we need the, the deep yearnings and longings of our lives to be quenched. We, we need our thirst to be slacked. Um, here's a photo of Boundary Lake. Remember Jason talked about Boundary Lake in his sermon a few weeks back. Jason, one of our elders, and then he was mad at me for going to Boundary Lake too much. Um, when he showed me where it was, yes, you did. You, I invite him, but... Anyway, when I think of calm waters, I often, this is the picture that comes to my mind. You can't see it, but my, I'm, I'm in my sleeping bag taking that picture. And it's morning, and I'm waking up and looking at this. So there's a physical sense in which God, out of his grace, he gives us moments of being by placid, still waters. And it just ministers. So this, this picture pops up on my phone. I don't know how they do this. But all randomly, and I'm, every time I see it, it's like, yeah, still waters. Physically, we have that. But there's a deeper spiritual meaning here as well, and you can see the roots of it all throughout the scripture. This idea of thirst and where we're going to quench our thirst is extremely important. So Jeremiah 2.13, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And you know that to be the case. How many times in our lives do we go to broken cisterns that can hold no water and we're trying to find, we're trying to, you know, take care of our thirst in a place that can never do it. And then contrast that with John 4, 13. Jesus said to her, this is the woman at the well and he's asked her for a drink. He said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, meaning the water in the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
So the spiritual promise beyond the physical beauty and wonder of having those opportunities to sleep next to still waters, to be next to still waters. The deep spiritual truth is that God is going to place in you a well of life-giving water through the Holy Spirit that will well up to your blessing and your encouragement wherever you find yourself. Yes, in those moments when you're next to an actual physical, still beautiful water like Boundary Lake, but also in those moments when your life is falling apart. Now, it's beautiful also to consider how Jesus steps into the space of the shepherd. This is, I, this is something that keeps coming to me as I'm, I'm sitting with Psalm 23. I hope you're sitting with Psalm 23. Over and over again, you're, you're pondering Psalm 23, and then it's like the light bulb goes off, and you see how Jesus just becomes the perfect manifestation of the shepherding that we long for out of Psalm 23. He provides that eternal life that, that will be like a well of water welling up inside of you. Uh, it wells up within. So, okay, and then finally, so it's amazing to me. Isn't it interesting? There's, there's only one phrase on active activity. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. We're going to talk about that next week. There's three phrases uh, about rest. And this is the third one. He restores my soul. And the word simply means to bring back something that has been lost. He restores my soul. Philip Keller uh, talks about a sheep condition called cast. A cast sheep. I have a little video to share with so you this about this is a cast sheep. Sheep can get stuck on their backs, um, which is an odd thing to happen, but they can soon die from it. So this one's been here a while. You can see there's poop on its bottom. Sorry you had to see that. So all you need to do is just turn it over and it might be a bit dizzy for a little while, it'll take a little while to get over it. Watch the sheep, it'll, it'll be wobbly. That's because your stomach can't release the gases and they kind of build up in it and it can soon kill it. So, see it's wobbling. It's wobbly on its feet. But that'll be fine now, that'll yeah, soon uh, get rid of the gases and you're back to normal again. But if we didn't find that then and write it, that would have been dead by the morning. So, if you don't find that sheep and turn it back over, it'll be dead by the morning. It all happens very quickly. And it's interesting, Philip Keller makes a connection. I don't think ver linguistically you can make these connections, but David does say, why is my soul cast down, right? And so I don't know if which came first. Maybe a cast sheep came from Psalm 42. I don't know. But it is a, it's, it's a concept. It's an inter interesting connection um, that's made there. And just as the shepherd comes along and writes the upside-down sheep, so too the Lord comes along and writes the upside-down soul. I love what um, Dallas Willard says in his commentary on this verse. He says, The broken depths of my soul are healed and reintegrated in a life in union with God. I love that word, reintegrated, because that's what it feels like to be a cast sheep. Uh, when, when your soul's cast down, it just feels like all the pieces of your life are scrambled and going in some crazy chaotic direction that you can't make sense of and you feel so out of control and you're on your back and your legs are all four up like this and you're just stuck. You are stuck. You're a cast sheep. 
and along comes your good shepherd and writes you, puts you back, puts you back on your feet, um, reintegrates your life, makes sense out of it. Uh, and so the broken depths of my soul are healed and reintegrated in a life in union with God, the eternal kind of life. And my guess is that some of you um, are in need this morning of having your souls healed and reintegrate. You feel like a cast sheep this morning, right? Guess what? God knows. He knows. It's not a surprise. And just, did you see how simple it was for that shepherd to come along and just take that sheep, rip, rip, and starts walking away? God's powerful. He's powerful enough for your brokenness this morning. Would you just call it, Lord, we just call out to you right now. We say, please, for those of us who are cast down, whose souls are cast down, would you write us by your power, by your spirit? We pray in Jesus' name. Do that work, we ask. Amen. All right, I want to, um, it sounds like I'm done, but I'm not. Um, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> take it off again. Um, I want to call you to rest. That's the last thing I want to do. Let the Lord make you lie down. A church should be active. We've talked about that. Um, we should be on mission, but that activity and that mission should be resourced in deep, godly restfulness. I was so blessed to go on sabbatical in 2018, um, so I'm counting the years, I think it's 2025 or something, the next one coming up, um, uh, three and a half months uh, away, and uh, we did all kinds of amazing things on this sabbatical because we'd received a very generous grant, but what I tell people is that the most important, the most life-giving part of that entire sabbatical was the time that it afforded me to be with Jesus, to be with the Lord in prayer, in study, in reflection, in journaling, just long stretches with no pressure to produce a sermon or anything like that. That was the most important thing. Not all the great activities that we got to do, but that time that I was able to spend with the Lord. And then, of course, the next layer out from that was time with family and just the restfulness of it. There were lots of moments of sitting beside the still waters and resting. And here's the big insight that came. What surprised me was how many ideas for life, like how to live life and ministry, what I'm doing with my vocation, how ministry action ideas came out of the being. And I had always experienced it the other way. I would run, run, run hard trying to do everything I thought I was supposed to do. And then when I went crash, I would rest. And one of the fundamental insights for me in how to live life that came out of that sabbatical was to turn it around. Start with rest in God. Start with deep reflection. Start with being poured into by your good shepherd. And then out of that comes activity that, guess what, ends up being a lot more enjoyable and a lot more fun even because you know that it's rooted in the Savior's work in the world. The abundance generates action. Prioritizing, resourcing yourself in the Lord and then out of that abundance you act. 
So enter the discipline of Sabbath. So sabbatical is what you do every seven years or something. You take a chunk of time off, um, depending on, on your vocational kind of work and, and that kind of thing. Um, sub, uh, excuse me, Sabbath is a day of rest to the Lord. It's like a mini sabbatical every week. How cool is that? And guess what? This is one of the Ten Commandments. So if you doubt, don't. That's the hardest thing for us oftentimes to take Sabbath is we doubt. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Maybe there was ignored Ten Commandment. Um, you know, it, in the Christian calendar, too, it's generally the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Sunday is Sabbath. You rest in the Lord, and that prepares you for the rest of what you're going to do in the week. And I got to go quickly here. Um, so what does a Sabbath look like? For most of us, it's going to start, I would recommend, on Saturday evening at dinner time and end on Sunday evening at dinner time. The reason we say that is because um, you get all your chores and your household things done on Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon. Then you start resting on Saturday evening. You rest all the way through. And then a lot of us need to start preparing for the week on Sunday night. So after we have a nice dinner to close our Sabbath, then we can take time to prepare to begin to gear up for the rest of the week. So you get those 24 hours between dinner and dinner on Saturday and Sunday for your Sabbath. Of course, Paul does, says it doesn't really, in, in Romans, he says it doesn't really matter which day you take as a Sabbath. So it's not a hard and fast rule, but that's what's going to work out for a lot of us given our work weeks. And I would just say this is more necessary today than it's ever been in the history of the world because there are almost no boundaries uh, that come from our culture that hem us in to taking Sabbath. Whereas it used to be that way, but now technology enables us to be always on. And so you can't, that's not human. Human beings can't function like that. We desperately need that regular weekly rest. So have a nice dinner, you know, spend Saturday night resting and uh, reading. You, you need to do things to get your head up in a high, not just base sort of physical things that are just physical rest. You got to get your head into the spiritual realm a little bit. It's a Sabbath to the Lord, remember? Um, and so, you know, watch some uplifting things. Watch out for that autoplay doom loop, you know, when you're on Sabbath, when you're watching some show and every time it ends, it goes on to the next show. And you just, it's four in the morning and you're still watching that show. You've seen 19 episodes of The Office and you can't stop because your executive function is, is gone because you're so tired and you can't say no to it. So just watch out for that um, because, because it steals your Sabbath. You got to put unlifting inputs into you, do everything slowly and deliberately, paying attention to the wonder of life. I oftentimes will, I don't grind coffee, but on my Sabbath, I grind my own coffee. Because I like the smell to come out, you know, and just sit with it. You know, when you wash your hands, feel the cold, beautiful, wonderful, life-giving water over your hand. Just do everything with a sense of wonder at what God has made. That's how you Sabbath. Um, you know, you don't set an alarm, no alarms on your Sabbath. You know, come to 11 o'clock if you, if, if you have to. Because you can't wait. Now, some of you have to set an alarm for 11 o'clock. We'll deal with that. But, um, you know, take some time in the morning to be with the Lord. Journal. Read some scripture. See, this is the thing we, we oftentimes mistake that Sabbath is about just playing and doing nothing. And, I, and it is. But it also, you, I find, 
and I've been doing this for now many, many years, I've got to get my head in upward into the spiritual space just a little bit during my Sabbath. It's not enough to just live in the physical. I got to get into the spiritual space a little bit. So do some reading, you know, just relaxing. Come and worship. This will be a time we think about God together. You see some people, hopefully it'll be airport hugs and we love each other and it's community. And then afterwards, you go out to lunch with some people or you just go home and take a nap and you sleep until dinner time or whatever is restful for you. Um, You be with friends, you be with family, take that nap and then you finish with a nice dinner and a prayer. And you, you know, at the end of that, you don't know, you may not feel anything, but I'm telling you, there is something deep about the way God, human beings, made human beings. It's right there in the creation story. We need rest. And it's a command for us to take that rest. I've given you this, this, this is the mindset of Sabbath. And uh, so I've given this to you to put this on your fridge. The, I, I just talked a little bit about the activity of Sabbath, but what I'm saying here is, um, this spells Sabbath, by the way, if you didn't pick that up. So it's a little goofy, but I was in the, our seven o'clock prayer meeting on Wednesday mornings, and this just sort of came to me uh, a while back, and I wrote it down, and, we, and I put some definitions around it. Um, and you can read this. Uh, I don't have time. I've got so many things to say about it, but these are experiences that I've learned Uh, over time and thinking biblically about what Sabbath is. Um, We have to have a mindset of Sabbath and you can take that with you. Um, There's endless varieties of way to do Sabbath. So it's not like this is how you do it. You gotta stumble through it and figure out what works for you. But here's the amazing thing about regular Sabbath is it helps you to develop the ability to rest. This is something I've noticed. You can, you can get into rest a lot faster when you practice resting. Those of you who haven't rested in, you know, four years, when you sit down to try to rest, it's going to take you three weeks, three weeks to, to start to, you know, two weeks to get to the place of rest. But when you're practicing this discipline over and over, and then something even more exciting happens, the restful posture starts to bleed into your entire life. See, actually... With God, with our good shepherd, all of life is to be like this. There's an interesting passage in Hebrews where it talks about our rest. And the Holy Spirit, faith, and obedience are combined together to give us the sense that all of life can be restful in the Lord. In fact, that's what he's called us to. So start Sabbathing, start resting, become a skilled rester. It's a command. And see how the resource of that godly restfulness blesses you for all of your life. God, would you help us? This is a hard countercultural thing we gotta do. So help us to break through those barriers, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks.